about a major cause of 90% of the bank failures, namely state and federal unit banking laws. These limited banks to a single office, preventing them from diversifying their loan portfolios and their source of funds. Unit banks were highly vulnerable to failure when local business conditions were bad because all their loans were to local people, many of whom were in default, and all their deposits came from local people who were withdrawing their money. Canada, which permitted nationwide branch banking, didn't have a single bank failure during the Great Depression. FDR's major banking reform, the second Glass-Steagall Act, actually weakened the banking system by breaking up the strongest banks to separate commercial banking from investment banking. Universal banks, which served depositors and did securities underwriting, were much stronger than banks pursuing only one of these activities. Very few universal banks failed, and securities underwritten by universal banks were less risky. Almost every historian has praised FDR's other major financial reform, establishing the Securities and Exchange Commission to supervise the registration of new securities and the operation of securities markets. But in terms of rate of return, investors were no better off than they were in the 1920s before the Securities and Exchange Commission came along. FDR didn't do much about a contributing factor in the Great Depression, the Smoot-Hawley tariff which throttled trade. Indeed, he raised some tariffs, while Secretary of State Cordell Hull negotiated reciprocal trade agreements which cut tariffs only about 4%. FDR approved the dumping of agricultural commodities below cost overseas, which surely aggravated our trading partners. FDR tripled taxes during the Great Depression from $1.6 billion in 1933 to $5.3 billion in 1940. Federal taxes as a percentage of the gross national product jumped from 3.5% in 1933 to 6.9% in 1940, and taxes skyrocketed during World War II. FDR increased the tax burden with higher personal income taxes, higher corporate income taxes, higher excise taxes, higher estate taxes, and higher gift taxes. He introduced the undistributed profits tax, Ordinary people were hit with higher liquor taxes and Social Security payroll taxes. All these taxes meant there was less capital for businesses to create jobs, and people had less money in their pockets. In addition, FDR increased the cost and risk of employing people, and so there shouldn't have been any surprise that the unemployment rate remained stubbornly high. Economists Richard K. Vedder and Lowell E. Galloway, in their 1997 study, Out of Work, Unemployment and Government in 20th Century America, reported, New Deal policies, and some Hoover-era policies predating the New Deal, systematically used the power of the state to intervene in labor markets in a manner to raise wages and labor costs, prolonging the misery of the Great Depression, and creating a situation where many people were living in rising prosperity at a time when millions of others were suffering severe deprivation. Of the ten years of unemployment rates over 10% during the Depression, Fully eight were during the Roosevelt administration, counting 1933 as a Roosevelt year. Vedder and Galloway estimated that by 1940, unemployment was eight points higher than it would have been in the absence of higher payroll costs imposed by New Deal policies. Economists Thomas E. Hall and J. David Ferguson reported, It is difficult to ascertain just how much the New Deal programs had to do with keeping the unemployment rate high, but surely they were important. A combination of fixing farm prices, 
promoting labor unions, and passing a series of anti-business tax laws would certainly have had a negative impact on employment. In addition, the uncertainty experienced by the business community as a result of the frequent tax law changes, 1932, 1934, 1935, 1936, must have been enormous. Since firms' investment decisions very much depend on being able to plan, an increase in uncertainty tends to reduce investment expenditures. It should not be a surprise that investment as a proportion of output was at low levels during the mid-1930s. Black people were among the major victims of the New Deal. Large numbers of blacks were unskilled and held entry-level jobs, and when New Deal policies forced rage weights above market levels, hundreds of thousands of these jobs were destroyed. Above-market wage rates encouraged employers to mechanize and in other ways cut total labor costs. Many New Deal policies were framed to benefit northern industries and undermine the position of employers in the South.